Welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Casey Barner, and I'm here today with my colleague, Beth Allen. We work for the Benefits Compliance Department of NFP. On this podcast, we normally break down employee benefits-related topics. Often, our topics have revolved around healthcare reform and other topics specific to health and welfare plans. But today, we're in for a treat. We're going to talk about the wonderful world of retirement. That is why Beth Allen is here with me today. Isn't that right, Beth? Yes, it is. So as Casey mentioned, we're used to a lot of the benefits headlines centering around health plan issues, and any talk of healthcare reform immediately piques people's interest. Um, we're even seeing a lot of coverage of the efforts to repeal portions of the ACA and the different regulations that have recently been amended that change some aspects of healthcare law. However, the last couple weeks, I've been excited because we've seen some headline-stealing stuff come up on the retirement side. So I'm happy that we get to discuss that today. Yeah, I'm pretty excited too, Beth. It's nice when we get to shake things up a little bit and show our team's versatility. So to kick things off, can you tell me a little bit about this IRS private letter ruling, sometimes referred to as a PLR, that came out recently and why it's such a big deal? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start, Casey. But before I get into that, I have to give a couple disclaimers. Um, And so you already kind of said it, but I'll admit up, up front that I'm going to abbreviate private letter ruling to PLR because that's a mouthful to say every time. The second thing that I would say is that PLRs are issued by the IRS when an employer asks for clarification on regulations. Um, So basically, the PLR is how the IRS gives the employer their thoughts on that specific subject. With that said, many of you have likely heard about a recent IRS PLR that many are saying will pave the way for employers to contribute to the 401k of employees who are paying student loans. I think for most, any regulatory movement that would allow for employees to receive greater benefits when it comes to their student loan payments would be welcome. I mean, the stats on individuals with student loans are astounding. 44.2% of Americans have student loan debt, and there's roughly 1.48 trillion, with a T, trillion, in total U.S. student loan debt. So as you can imagine, there's a growing portion of our working population that has to grapple with whether they can afford to pay off their student loans and contribute to their 401ks. So that's the backdrop against which the IRS introduced their latest PLR. Yeah, Beth, those are shocking numbers. And thank you for sharing those with us. As millennials, we definitely understand the plight some face in deciding whether they are going to pay off their student loans or prioritize their retirement or other life decisions. The debt is actually real for some of us, Beth, right? Yeah. So how exactly does this IRS PLR private letter ruling help you and me? Well, the PLR gave us a glimpse into how the IRS might view certain employer efforts to allow employees with student loans to have the best of both worlds. Specifically, the IRS released PLR 2018-33012 in mid-August, and it addressed an individual employer's uh, desire to allow matching contributions to be made for employees that repay student loans. Okay, so let me stop you there, Beth. That's what I was afraid of. I noticed you said the PLR addressed an individual plan sponsor. Does that mean that the IRS's ruling only applies to that plan sponsor and not a different plan sponsor like, let's say, NFP? I'm glad you brought that up, Casey, because I can't stress enough that a PLR is not really precedent for everyone. It's not like official guidance issued from the IRS that every plan sponsor can rely on. So we have to keep that in mind when discussing this PLR. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to get that out there. So tell me more about this student loan PLR because it's still very interesting. 
Well, in the PLR, the IRS allowed the employer to implement a design where the employer can contribute a non-elective contribution equal to 5% of an employee's compensation if the employee pays at least 2% of their eligible compensation towards his or her student loans. Okay, so if this non-elective contribution is just a match to the employee's 401k and employers can already give employees matching contributions, why is this PLR special? So that actually gets into the regs a little bit deeply. The reason this is somewhat monumental is that the IRC has a rule that we'll call the contingent benefit rule, which basically says that the only benefit that can be conditioned on an employee's elective deferrals is a matching contribution. And this non-elective contribution would not technically be a matching contribution. It's kind of a tomato-tomato thing, but it matters for the regulations. In this case, the IRS clarified that basing this non-elective contribution on the employee's payment toward their student loans wouldn't violate that rule. It would basically clear the way for employees to be able to pay their student loans and still take advantage of the free money offered through an employer match to the 401k. Keep in mind, though, that this letter does impose some restrictions that employers would want to remember. For example, the IRS made it clear that an employee could only get the non-elective contribution for paying their student loans or a match for contributing to their 401k. They couldn't do both in a given period. So this process could require the employer to reconcile their match to make sure that they didn't allow employees to take advantage of both. Plus, Any plan that does this would still have to comply with all the rules that are applicable to 401k matching contributions, including testing requirements and coverage rules. Wow, that's really interesting, Beth. So now that the IRS has issued this ruling, again, can companies implement this type types of plans right now, like my employer? I mean, it's full steam ahead, right? So not quite. So we're going to say it again, you know, for the people in the back, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, the PLR is only officially applicable to the entity that requests the letter, hence the P in private letter ruling, which stands for private. So that means that any other employer that wanted to implement this type of program would probably need to submit their own PLR asking to do the same thing. But I'm hoping, Beth, you're going to tell me there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Isn't it likely that the IRS will come out with official guidance addressing student loan payments in 401ks? Yeah, it is. Just the fact that the IRS actually released this PLR means that they are likely to issue official guidance on the subject because they don't release all PLRs. But until they do that, companies wanting to implement this kind of design will want to consult with their legal counsel. Got it. So that's what that P and PLR stands for, private, huh? So, Beth, I guess what you are telling me is that I won't be able to have a matching contribution paid by, let's say, NFP for my student loans next week? Yeah, I'm definitely telling you that this is not something that employers are going to be able to administer in the next couple months. In addition to the guidance being informal, employers also have to consider that setting up this type of plan is going to take some time. Administratively, the employer would have to figure out how to track an employee's student loan payments. Now, I suspect that there will be some vendors that build programs to step into this space and help employers do this, but it's still going to take some time. Okay, I understand that. I guess I'll have to be patient because I really don't have a choice. So I'll have to hold off a bit on waiting for my employer to implement this type of program. But what else is going on in the retirement world, Beth? Well, retirement has actually been in the national news cycle because President Trump issued an executive order on retirement and the House of Representatives has come out with some bills on retirement. 
Okay, so yeah, well, let's talk about Trump's executive order. But before we do, this is a really good time to plug the fact that we wrote an article about this uh, EO, it's what we call executive orders, in the last edition of our biweekly newsletter, Compliance Corner. Isn't that right, Beth? Yeah, that's right. Our team works hard to provide summaries of all the regulatory and legislative updates that happen. That same edition also had an article about the student loan PLR. Oh, that's right, Beth. Thanks for that reminder. That student loan PLR was also the subject of a Washington update. Isn't that right? That went out? It was, um, but now that we've finished our shameless plug of the resources NFP provides, let's get back to the president's executive order. So on August 31st, the president issued an executive order on strengthening retirement security in America. In the order, the president directed the DOL and the Department of the Treasury to do a number of things that could possibly bolster the access to retirement plans for Americans. Why is this something that the administration is shifting their focus to? That's an interesting story, Casey, and to be honest, one that I don't have enough time to tell. So in the interest of time, I'll just say that when the administration was mulling over the changes that tax reform would include, there were some congressmen that were in favor of changing the retirement rules to possibly allow tax uh, advantages, less tax advantages based on retirement. Well, that resulted in a lot of comments from interested stakeholders, and there was basically widespread animus to the idea of messing with people's retirement. So much so that we saw very, very minute changes to retirement and tax reform, and none of the changes made it harder for people to save. In addition to that, this spring, we saw some pretty troubling stats come out of Pew Research Studies. They basically showed that 35% of private sector workers don't work for companies that offer a retirement plan. Wow, that's astounding, Beth. Many of us in the professional world probably take it for granted that our companies offer retirement plans and don't realize that so many private companies don't. That definitely would make it much harder to save for retirement if your company or your employer didn't offer a retirement plan. That's precisely right, Casey. And so the administration has been having talks with retirement industry leaders about this situation, and President Trump's executive order is what we got out of it. Yeah, that's great. So what does the president direct the agencies to do exactly? In a nutshell, he directs them to do things to make it easier and less costly for smaller employers to offer a retirement plan. And then there are some other things that are sprinkled in the order as well. The biggest portion of the executive order directs the DOL to examine or consider making changes to ERISA regulations to allow more employers to band together to provide retirement plans through the use of retirement multiple employer plans. And we're going to call those MEPs for the rest of this conversation. Do I have to call it a MEP? Can it be a MEEP? I would rather it be a MEP, Casey. Okay, Beth. So this sounds a lot like what was done over the summer with association health plans. So again, AHPs are association health plans all over again. We have an executive order and maybe some action to follow. So what does that mean for retirement? That's exactly right, Casey, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's an easy way to explain what the president wants the DOL to consider. As was the case with AHPs, the current rules wouldn't allow employers to band together to offer retirement plans unless the members were in the same geographic region and industry. Although groups could band together into MEPs in the past, ERISA wouldn't apply on the plan level unless those requirements were met. If ERISA didn't apply on the plan level, that means that each participating employer would have to comply with ERISA and all the requirements it brings on their own. That made MEPs harder to form and less attractive. Okay, so I follow what you're saying, Beth. The president essentially directed the DOL to consider changing the regulations for retirement plans to relax the rules on becoming a MEP. Yep, 
They specifically want to make sure that more small and middle-sized businesses are able to take advantage of these arrangements. So what else does the order direct the agencies to do regarding these meeps? Well, the rest of it actually isn't directly pointed towards MEPs, but it does mention other changes having to do with retirement. So the first is that the order directs the DOL to review actions that would make notices and distribution requirements less costly and burdensome. As we all know, there are a number of distributions that are required, and those can make plan administration costly. Plus, when you consider the fact that administration costs can also come straight out of employees' accounts, higher costs can mean smaller gains in an individual's retirement account. Okay, I'm sorry, Beth. I've had my fun. I'll continue to call them MEPs. So did this order specify any notices or distribution rules that should be reviewed? No, it wasn't really that specific on this part of the order. So the DOL could look at possibly reducing the number of disclosures or even just making them less complex. The president did specifically mention that the DOL should review the potential for broader use of electronic delivery, which I'm sure will be a welcome change for a lot of employers. Yeah, if you mean that this order could result in changes to the DOL's safe harbor on electronic disclosure, I'm sure a lot of employers would get behind that. Exactly. I mean, when you consider that ERISA was written 40 years ago and that the first iteration of the DOL's electronic distribution safe harbor came way back in 2006, it's obvious that our world in 2018 is a lot more electronic. Although there were employers or employees back in 2006 that might not have had access to certain electronic communication methods, it's now very uncommon for anyone not to have a smartphone or email address or be on the internet every day. So it's likely a good time for the DOL to to re-examine the rules on electronic disclosure with, with the changing world in mind. Yeah, a lot of us would love that in our industry, Beth. We're really looking forward to that. So what was the other subject behind the opening up of MEPS? So again, the other subject wasn't quite really related to MEPS as much as it was related to 401ks as a whole. But thanks for getting us back on track, Casey. The final directive mentioned in the executive order was for the Treasury to review the required minimum distribution tables. As background, employees that are 70 and a half years old, I don't know what 70 and a half years old, it's really 70 plus six months, um, but employees that are 70 and a half are required to begin taking distributions from their 401k. This directive would essentially require the Treasury to ascertain whether that 70 and a half age should be increased since people are mostly living and working longer. Okay, so let me summarize this in my head and for those listening. Essentially, this executive order is telling the DOL and the IRS to get to work. If the same thing happened as what happened with the AHPs, that basically means that we should expect the agencies to begin working on proposed rules for these changes pretty soon. Yeah, that is what it means. You know, it'll be interesting to see how fast the rules are promulgated. But if the AHP issue is assigned, it'll probably be done as quickly as possible. I think that's especially the case since the industry at large seems to be in agreement with these changes. So, Beth, I've looked at the description for this podcast already, you know, behind the scenes. Kind of nice to have the the uh, pre-glance look at that. And it says that Congress is getting a piece of this action with regard to retirement plans. Can you explain what's going on there? Are we expecting something from Congress here soon? Absolutely. Um, Remember when I mentioned that a ton of industry stakeholders sent comments about retirement when Congress and the president were working on tax reform? Well, a bunch of those letters and calls went to congressional members. And so the House and the Senate are both floating bills that would kind of be considered tax reform 2.0, and they address some of these issues. 
In fact, the House just released H.R. 6757, and the bill also provides for open MEPs and changes some of the rules surrounding them. Not only that, but the bill includes a lot of different changes to the retirement plan rules that are aimed at offering more opportunities for retirement plan investors to accumulate better retirement nest eggs. Uh, that sounds like some great information, Beth. You sure you don't want to go into a little bit more detail about this legislation? It's not likely that it's going to change after we do this recording. Isn't that right, Beth? KC has jokes today because, as some of you might suspect, we might say some things that come out on the podcast, and then later the government does something to make what we just said incorrect. But also, in the interest of time, we'll save that for another podcast, KC. As we all know, you know, time will tell whether this bill actually gets passed, especially when you consider that the midterms are swiftly approaching. But I will say that there seems to be quite a bit of bipartisan support for making a lot of these retirement changes, which is not the case on the healthcare reform side. So I'm sure we'll see some movement on it all. And as always, we'll report on any legislation that is actually passed. So I'm in full love mode here, Beth. The president and Congress actually seem to agree on making it easier for employees to save for retirement. I'm all in on that. But the biggest love fest I have is retirement plan love because of my student loans. Yeah, I like that too, Casey. I know that retirement is not often the star of our podcast, um, but I do think that retirement can be where it's at sometimes. Well, with all of that said, I want to thank Beth for joining me today. This was some great information on retirement. And I want to thank you all for tuning in. And as we like to say, that's a wrap. 